Let's open God's Word together this morning and turn to Luke chapter 24. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 13 through 35, the account of the Lord Jesus appearing to the two travelers to Emmaus on Resurrection Sunday evening. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. It's about seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them, which were with us, went to the sepulcher, talking about Peter and John, and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them, And their eyes were opened that they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. We read God's word to that point this morning. Our text is verses 25, 26, and 27 in light of the context of the whole account here. But verses 25, 26, and 27. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, 
he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Beloved of God, the Lord Jesus Christ was a preacher. It's not the only thing that he was, of course. He was a miracle worker. In his kingly office, he expressed his sovereign rule over all things, over creation, over disease, over demons, by his miracles. He was king. He was a priest. And of course, the main calling of his life was to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin unto God as a priest, giving himself up to the cross for us. But throughout his ministry, the three years of his earthly ministry, the main thing that he was, was a prophet, a preacher. The two travelers to Emmaus don't have a full understanding of who he is, but they're not wrong when they say of him in verse 19, Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word. And throughout the Gospels, we see him preaching. We have records of some of his sermons. His sermon in his own home synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. His sermon in the synagogue of Capernaum in John chapter 6. We have his sermon on the mount and his sermon on the plain. And we have references to all of his Many of his other sermons and portions of his teachings, the Lord Jesus was a preacher. And the Lord Jesus still is a preacher. In part, Reverend Halstag, through your preaching. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. When this man brings the word faithfully, you hear Christ's voice. Christ is still a preacher through his preaching. The Lord Jesus did all of his work as prophet, priest, and king, and all of his work as preacher, therefore, as a pastor, Children, what did he call himself? Remember, the great shepherd of the sheep. As a pastor, he performed his miracles in his kingly office. Out of compassion for his children, as priest, he offered himself from a pastor's heart to accomplish for them what was their greatest need, the redemption of their bodies and souls from the just punishment against their sins. And as a pastor, he preached. As the shepherd of the sheep, he proclaimed the word of God, gave to them what they needed to know of him and of all the counsel of Jehovah God. The Lord Jesus was a pastor, and the Lord Jesus is still a pastor. In part, Reverend Holsteg through your pastoring. An under-shepherd of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. We observe 
the Lord Jesus this morning preaching as a pastor as he draws near to these two from Emmaus and preaches to them along the way. That's the theme, Christ preaching on the way. Notice first the preaching, second the place, and third the power. How, Reverend Halsteg, will you preach to this flock that is here? How will I preach when I'm called to preach? How must a preacher preach? In part, the way the great preacher did in his office as prophet. Let's notice this morning three things about the preaching of the Lord Jesus here. First of all, it is the expounding of the sacred scriptures. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And now maybe that seems too obvious to really point out that preachers preach the scriptures. But this is really quite an astounding thing about the text that is before us if you think about it. And it shows the vital importance of the exposition of the word for God's people in the church. Jesus is standing right there in front of them. The incarnate word, the logos himself. He does not need to go to the scriptures to reveal to them the authoritative declaration of Jehovah God. He is that declaration. He is the word before them. Could he not have upon his own authority as the Messiah, especially now resurrected from the dead, risen as the Son of God with power, the one who's been revealed to be God's authority, the Son of God with power. Could he not simply say, I as the Son of God tell you this is the truth, but instead he expounds the Scriptures to them. That's astounding. Why? Because they and the New Testament church needs to know this is the source of your life. God has chosen the explanation and application of this book to be the means by which he works faith in his people. He works faith in them right here through his preaching, expounding the word of God. This is the chief means of grace the church must know. He's setting the pattern. He's setting the tone for the New Testament church. Is this not why he withheld their eyes from knowing who he was? He wants their focus to be on the scriptures that he is explaining, how he's expounding them, opening them up concerning himself. They must apply themselves through the entire rest of the New Testament to these scriptures the church must. The apostles themselves will know this Christ whom they've been walking with for three years from the scriptures. And you and I too. This book is astounding. Do we take it for granted brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that it is the full revelation of God, so perfectly written, so perfectly ordered. And the more and more you know it, the more and more you understand it, the more and more you see how miraculous it is. Marvelously crafted 
to give us everything we need for life and godliness. It is the mind of God in human words. In some ways, it's kind of like its own incarnation. That's not the right word, because incarnation means enfleshing. And there's no flesh here, but it's an inscripturating of the mind of God as Christ is the person of God come down in human flesh. This is the mind of God come down in human words. And the incarnate word gives deference here to the inscripturated word. Not because it has more authority than him, but because this is the authority for the church in the New Testament age. And they must look at it that way. They must come to hear it that way. They must receive it as the very words of God. The plan of redemption, the purposes of God are in it. The counsel of God, the will of God, it holds the authority of God himself for it is the mind and word of God come down to us. This book is so authoritative that it does not merely react to history and record it, but it determines history. Ought not Christ to have suffered and in that way entered into his glory, the Lord Jesus says, And of course, theologically that's the case. He must bear our sin and the atoning wrath of God first in order to enter into his glory. But what he's saying to them is, ought not I have gone to the cross and suffered horribly as the Messiah for your souls and through that way entered into my glory of resurrection and ascension because that's what was written. And you've read it. Word of God determines what will happen. It is the authority of God Himself. So we've called a minister. And God, in His gracious, gracious providence, has granted to us a minister to help us. What do you want Him to do, congregation? What are you putting money into the collection plate for the support of his ministry for? Many things, but chiefly this. Expound the word to us. All the word, all the scriptures. Be slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. They believed some of what the prophets had spoken. But they didn't believe particularly the prophets teaching and preaching about the suffering, the cross and resurrection of the Messiah. They couldn't wrap their minds around a Messiah who suffered. And how easy it is for us sometimes without even thinking about it to let parts of the scriptures go. And though we'd never say it, we start to let it go even in our own lives and its application to our own life. We need all the scriptures. All of it. The whole counsel of God. Preach it to us, brother. New Testament, Old Testament, law, gospel. These are the very words of God. Preach this book, Reverend Holsteg, and preach it in the light of Jesus Christ, who stands at the heart of it. That's the second thing Jesus, the great preacher here, teaches us in the text. 
Preaching must be preaching of all the Scriptures in their relation to Him. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. When Jesus read the Bible, anywhere He read the Bible, if He opened to Genesis, if He opened to Leviticus, if He opened to the Proverbs, the Psalms, if He just randomly opened it up right there, anywhere Jesus read the Bible, He saw Himself. And not because he was narcissistic and was just a man who liked to see himself everywhere and so twisted everything concerning himself. He saw himself because that's the way it was written and that is the way that it was meant to be read. The Greek word that's translated in the text here as expounded. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's a good translation It's the Greek word from which we get the subject in seminary that's called hermeneutics, the science of interpreting and explaining the Bible. How do we know how to interpret and explain the Bible? The Bible itself tells us how to interpret and explain the Bible. And this is one place where it does. Here's one of the chief principles All of it has something to say about him. All of it is connected to him in some way, shape, or form. You have not understood the passage if you have not seen it in light of him. Examine the passage itself to be sure. Turn it inside out. But then see it in light of the whole of the history of redemption and especially him and his cross and resurrection at the center of it. Spurgeon said once that from every town and city and village and shire in England, there's a road to London. So too, from every passage of Scripture in the Bible, there's a road to Jesus Christ. Luther said that the Old Testament is like the swaddling clothes around the Christ child. Unwrap the Old Testament and you will find Jesus. Christ-centered preaching is not one of many options for a preacher. It's mandated by the Lord here. And to not have, generally speaking, of course, there's individual sermons that are this or that, but to not have, generally speaking, a ministry that preaches Christ from all of Scripture is to call Jesus a liar and to say to him, no, you're wrong. It does not point to you. We need it. Laden with guilt and full of fears, I fly to thee, my Lord, and not a glimpse of hope appears, but in thy written word. The volumes of my Father's grace doth all my griefs assuage. Here I behold my Savior's face on every page. And while, of course, beloved, we could all wish to have heard this two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour sermon that the Lord Jesus himself preached, seven miles to Emmaus, people generally walk 
three, three and a half miles an hour. Two hours, two and a half hour sermon he spent expounding the scriptures concerning himself, marching through the Old Testament. We all could wish to have heard that sermon minister to. And yet, we must realize that by Christ giving a ministry to the church, and by Christ teaching how to preach, when the preacher proclaims the word of God, we are hearing this sermon. We're hearing a piece of this sermon all throughout our life. Every time the scriptures are proclaimed faithfully, all faithful sermons are a part of this sermon. And it's not wearisome to us. It's not the same sermon over and over. It's the whole of the variety of scripture. It's the whole of the counsel of God, but all in connection to him. It's not that he's the only thing we ever say or talk about, but that all is seen in the light of him, chiefly his cross and resurrection, as this is the way he enters into his glory, but all of him. In Colossians 1, 14 through 19, the apostle lists excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Reverend Halsteg, from all of Scripture, show us a Christ in whom we have redemption through the blood of his cross, in whom we have the forgiveness of sins, a Christ who is the image of the invisible God, a Christ who is the firstborn of every creature. Show us a Christ by whom were all things created. Show us a Christ for whom all things were created. Show us a Christ who is before all things. Show us a Christ by whom all things consist. Show us a Christ who is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, a Christ who is the firstborn from the dead, a Christ who has all the preeminence over all things. Show us a Christ who is the head of the body, the church. A Christ who is the beginning, the Christ who is the firstborn from the dead, a Christ whom it pleased the Father, in whom all fullness would dwell, and a Christ who made peace by the blood of his cross to reconcile all things to himself. Sir, we would see Jesus. Is this not why their hearts burned within them? We ought not make too much of that or too little of that in verse 32. Too much of it is the Pentecostal notion that turns this into some mysticism when in fact what it's describing is faith, the granting of faith. It's obvious that there is a contrast here between their slowness of heart to believe and now this burning in their heart that does believe. The one was on unbelief, this burning in their heart is belief. It's faith, faith under the hearing of the word. But we ought not make too little of it either because there is a spiritual joy and love and power and warmth that comes under the seeing of Jesus Christ and all that he is and the exposition of his word. And merely hearing the Bible explained, no matter how capable the exposition, 
We don't come away with a burning heart, but seeing Christ, our Savior, in the Scriptures. The heart of faith glows with the warmth of the sight of Him. Exposition of the Scriptures as the revelation and the authority of God, Christ-centered. Third, Jesus teaches that the exposition of the Word, the preaching of the Word, requires sometimes rebukes. Oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Slowness of heart is unbelief, and unbelief is foolishness. And the Lord calls it what it is. Their lack of understanding is a heart problem. It's a slowness of the heart to believe, to embrace by faith, and to apply to their life in the situation that's right in front of them. It's not that they hadn't read the passages of Scripture that spoke of his suffering, his cross, and his resurrection. It's not that he hadn't pointed it out to them in his earthly ministry. He had. It's that there is a slowness of heart to believe. Have you not ever had a slow heart to believe? Even regenerated. Have you not at times come away from the preaching of the word thinking, I knew that, of course. I knew that truth. I knew the sovereignty of God, but I, was, I wasn't applying it to my life here in this particular place. And that, that word of God called me awake and, and showed me that, that this needs to be applied to my life right here. I'm slow of heart to believe it. I know it with my head, but I'm not applying it to my life. Do I really believe it fully? That's why we need the Word of God again and again. Same things again and again throughout our life. And it's why sometimes we need the rebukes of the Word of God in our life too. Sometimes shake us awake when we're blinded. Sometimes it kind of glides over us or around us and the rebuke of the word comes and it stirs us, shakes us awake to see, yes, yes. I've rejected the word, really. In this part, sometimes we need it gently, those rebukes. Think of the Lord earlier in the day with Mary Magdalene, just a soft word. Mary Sometimes we need it stoutly. Oh, fools, slow of heart to believe. We need rebukes for our doctrinal errors. Slow of hearts to believe the doctrines of the word. Carried away you are by, by every wind of doctrine when you know better. We need the rebukes of the word regarding our life. If we're walking in the wrong path, a foolish path that we know better, don't walk this way. Oh, fools, slow of heart to believe the word and to apply it to your life. Rebukes. We need preachers. Expound the word as the authoritative scriptures concerning the Lord Jesus Christ himself, all in relation to him, and that bring us rebukes. And we need preachers that bring that preaching 
as a pastor. He draws near to us and who walks with us along the way. Verse 15, where is Jesus preaching this sermon? And Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Children, he didn't appear right next to them when he appeared on the road as they're walking. If he would have done that, they would obviously know this is either Jesus or it's an angel, it's some supernatural being. And he wanted to hold their eyes, keep them from knowing who he was until he expounded the scriptures concerning himself to them. So what he did is he appeared on the road way back here. And then he drew near. He, he caught up with them as they were walking. And he started talking to them. And then he preached to them as he walked with them the rest of the way to Emmaus. Here's Jesus, the pastor. What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? How many people have come up to you while you're walking and talking and said, you know, excuse me, I couldn't help but notice you're kind of sad here as as you're talking. What is it you're talking about? Maybe a good practice for evangelism. But it must have struck them. And the strangeness of it and the stirring in their soul leads Cleopas first to respond to the Lord Jesus in a way that, to be frank, is downright rude. Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass here in these days? What do you mean, what are we talking about? What's anybody talking about? Where have you been? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know anything about this? You have your head stuck in the sand or what? And Jesus, as the good pastor of his sheep, he absorbs it. Doesn't say a word about it. And like a good pastor, he continues to ask questions. And he draws out their confusion, disappointment, pain, And yes, even anger. What things? Hast thou not known the things that... What? What things? And look what happens. They just start talking. And for the next eight verses, they're they're spilling it out. All of the confusion that they have concerning the death of the Lord Jesus Christ... And the hope that they're hearing rumors about, but they don't want to latch on to because they're so confused about this. And there's even some anger in there that we had followed this man and thought that he was the Messiah. And now he's dead and gone and we've wasted this long in our life. Yeah, we've heard about these women from our company who've supposedly seen some angels. They've told them that he's alive and are we supposed to believe this now? Or what, what, what's going on here? And, the, and he draws them out, and it all starts to flow out to him as Jesus listens, as the good shepherd asking good questions, drawing out 
don't think that he doesn't know the answer to his questions. He knows precisely what they're talking about. He knows precisely all of these things. He is the center of all of these things. He wants them to talk, to let it out as he walks with them along the way. Irvin Halstead, your primary calling is to preach the Word of God to us. And the elders must make sure that you have the time needed in the study to preach the Word of God faithfully to us. But it's also the case, as you know, that you are to preach to us as one who draws near to us and walks with us along the way, who pastors us, who asks us questions, who listens, draws us out. If you do, you're going to find in due time that there's some disappointment in some in the congregation. There's confusion in some in the congregation. You may, may even find a tinge of anger in some in the congregation. But walk with us. And as you have opportunity, ask your sheep questions and listen. We'll take some time for you to catch up to us, as it took the Lord a bit of time to catch up with those two travelers on the road, but you will, and draw near. And then, preach to us, out of your pastoring of us, out of your walking with us, on the road of life, not one who's in an ivory tower separated from us, but as one who has heard us and listened to us and brings the word of God to bear upon what he has heard. Don't let it be as it won't be for you, I know. That pastor and preacher are at loggerheads with one another, but that they go together to preach out of the pastoring and the preaching is the pastoring. Congregation, Listening to sermons on sermon audio from your favorite preacher is a fine thing. It can be a very good thing, done wisely, carefully, a very helpful thing. But don't let it replace the hearing of the Word of God through the one that Christ, the head of the church, is called to be your pastor and to walk down the road of life drawing near to you. There's a reason why God set it up this way. That he gives a congregation, pastor, to proclaim to them out of the bond of pastor and pastor. From one who did your mother's funeral. From one who has little running jokes with your children in catechism from one who performed your son's wedding so that out of the bond he preaches you as he know, to you as he knows you and you receive as you know him open the book to us that way in all your work and open the book to us from this pulpit knowing eventually in due time your sheep and bring us Christ 
as our pastor bring us Christ. Knowing their confusion and their pain and their disappointment and even their anger, what did Jesus do ultimately? He showed them himself. That was the answer. So too, Pastor Halstead, this will, in centrality, always be the answer. When our loved one dies, as you walk with us along the way, give us Jesus. When we're caught in sin, give us Jesus. When we have marriage problems, give us Jesus. When we are discouraged, give us Jesus. When we're joyful, give us Jesus. And give him to us. Ultimately because the reason why you know we need him on the pages of all of Scripture is because you know you need him too on the pages of all of Scripture. So far I've been preaching this text from the perspective of Jesus as the model preacher and pastor that the minister is to be like. Minister Jesus. Jesus ministered. And the two travelers, congregation. But I would fail, beloved, if I did not also preach it in such a way that Jesus is Jesus and the two travelers are the congregation and the pastor who is not only shepherd but also himself a sheep. And who is therefore to preach not only at the example of the great preacher and the example of the great shepherd, but also himself shepherded by the great shepherd and himself hearing the voice of the great preacher. Brother, I'm convinced you're going to have marvelous joys in your ministry here. You will have loves, memories, wonderful Wonderful experiences. God forbid it, but perhaps there will also be times when you feel like these two travelers on the road to Emmaus. And you have disappointment. And you have confusion. And you have questioning. And you have difficulty, maybe even a touch of anger. Those times... May the great shepherd will the great shepherd do for you what he did to those two. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He will draw near. He will come to you and he will walk with you. And you will open your heart to him and he'll draw it out and he will pour out what is in your mind and heart and soul and he will hear you in prayer. And he will minister to your needs. He'll calm your fears. He'll untangle your confusions. He'll sustain you in your way as he walks with you. By the very word that you're preaching, by the very word that you're using to pastor the church, to visit the sick, to bring in counseling. He'll open himself up to you. He'll show you himself. And all of his glory, and all of his beauty, 
and all of his sufferings and death, atoning for your soul, even for yours, and his resurrection and his victory and his glory at the right hand of God, and his marvelous promises, and his kingship over his church, and you will shepherd, and you will preach as one shepherded and one who has heard. And your heart will burn within you as you see him. And as it does, and as ours does, there will be fellowship with you and with him in this congregation. That's the first result of Jesus preaching as shepherd to these two, isn't it? The powerful result is that there's fellowship. In the meal that they share with him, in the breaking of bread, in the speaking that they do with one another as they reflect back on his preaching to them and say, did not our hearts burn within us? So that Christ becomes the one with whom and around whom they find their fellowship. Not anymore. Their disappointments, their complaints, their criticisms, their anger, their confusion. But now it's him, eyes focused upon him. The power of this preaching of the pastor is seen second. And the living witness that these give Others who are confused and hopeless, they rose up the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. They'd just gotten to Emmaus. They've been walking for two and a half hours and they get right up and they go back. It's dark now, but they go back because they want to tell others who are confused the message that will end their confusion and hurt and pain. And finally, the power of this preaching of the pastor is that God uses it to preserve his people until the day when they see this Christ face to face. In the end, he showed himself to them face to face. First, they must see him through the word. And faith must be built up, strengthened, preserving them through the word. And then, finally, see him. And you too, and me too. Under the preaching of the pastor, the word of God preserves us through this pilgrimage. It preserves us. And to this end, we see him, whom we've known all our life long and grown in knowing and seen on all the pages of Scripture through the preaching of the pastor that God has granted to us. We see him now, whom we know face to face. May God bless your ministry here, brother. We are thankful to the Lord that he has granted you to us. Amen. Let us pray. Father, bless us under the preaching of this word and bless us under the proclamation of the word brought by our pastor, Reverend Halsteg. Feed us, Father, with food that is convenient for us. Show us our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.